In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Here it is. The week where everything comes together. The promise of Genesis 3.15, the one born of woman's seed, has come to crush the serpent's head at last. The one who possesses all glory in heaven and on earth comes humbly, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The one who has called Israel to be his own people has come only to be rejected by them. The one who receives the cries of Hosanna on Palm Sunday, which means save now. In the days when the, palms, when the Psalms were written, as here he comes riding into Jerusalem, has come only at the end of the week to hear the cries, crucify him. The one who called forth the trees from the ground and breathed life into Adam has come to be hanged on a cross and will breathe his last. And this week, we are confronted again with our need, our desperate need to be saved. The attack on the Christian school in Kentucky strikes a bit close to home, doesn't it? We should be grateful that this tragedy was not worse, but that even that is a hollow comfort to those families that are grieving. And so we cry, Hosanna, save us now. What are we to make of the evil that we face in this life? Does God not care? Does he not see? Does he not hear? This is an old theology problem that now goes by the name theodicy, which asks these kinds of questions, seeking to vindicate or justify the existence of a good and all-powerful God in the face of such great evil. That term itself dates back only to the 1700s, so it's relatively new. But the question is much older than that, of course. Jesus himself tackled this question in Luke 13. When someone asked him about a massacre that was carried out by Pontius Pilate in the temple in Jerusalem, Jesus had also at that same time commented on yet another disaster as a tower in Siloam collapsed and killed 18 people. So Jesus begins to address this problem by asking the question, do you think that these were worse sinners than all others because this tragedy befell them? The answer to that one is a rather interesting question. Our natural religion, which is not Christianity, by the way, would seem to make us lean towards yes. Of course, they must have done something in order for this great evil to be punished by God in this way. You may be surprised to hear me say something like that, but isn't that how we often think when we face tragedy in this world? We often suppose that bad things happen to people that deserve it. 
In some Eastern religions, this is called karma. But that term is used more than just by Hindus and Buddhists. Consider the last time something very bad happened to you personally. Did you ask the question, what did I do to deserve this? If that is the case, then we would need to ask, what great evil did the three children and the three adults who were killed commit to deserve their fate? And the implication in asking that question is, what did they do so that I can avoid this same fate? But Jesus, when he answers this question, he doesn't answer with a yes. He answers the way that a person of God should answer. He answers with a no. No, they weren't worse sinners. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you likewise will all perish. So while Jesus' answer is no, is quite a bit different than yes, the opposite of yes, it doesn't get us off the hook, does it? That means that even though we shouldn't necessarily say that action A leads to result B when it comes to sin and the consequences of living in a fallen world, our response still should be one of repentance. The scriptures tell us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are consigned under sin because that is the condition into which we were born. And it is the air that we breathe, it is the food that we eat, it is the water that we drink. When Martin Luther started the Reformation by nailing the 95 Theses to the church door in Wittenberg, the very first of those theses says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ tells us to repent, he willed that the whole life of the Christian be one of repentance. That is why there is evil in the world. That tells us, that diagnoses the problem. We are sinners. We're surrounded by sinners. But there's not much comfort in simply being able to diagnose the problem. Getting a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer does not cure the disease. Sure, it helps us to say that we certainly can't rescue ourselves from the evil in which we find ourselves. The problem of people killing children, though, can't simply be solved by anything short of a change of heart. And we should not expect that change of heart to come from a people who can't even be convinced that killing a child in the womb is an evil act. A lack of repentance leads to a further hardening of our hearts that will not seek an answer from God, which is why every time one of these tragedies happens, the mockery of our prayers and our cries for mercy from God get louder and louder and louder. 
The question of what is God doing? Seeking to vindicate or justify God when evil strikes. This theodicy is deeply rooted in the scripture. Psalm 10, which is one of my favorite psalms, by the way, it starts off like this. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Is that not the real question? What is God doing about all of this great evil? The psalmist goes on to lament that the wicked not only increase in their evil deeds, but it seems that they prosper while the people of God continue to suffer. The wicked man mocks God, and the helpless seem to be left alone. And so the psalmist cries out, Arise, O Lord! O God, lift up your hand! Forget not the afflicted! To put it another way, do something! Do something about this, God! And that is what Hosanna is. This cry from the Palm Sunday crowds was because it was the cry of the people of God for all time, for generations. It was the cry that they, they rang out as they came up to the temple to celebrate the Passover. They were remembering God's mercy as he rescued them and their fathers from slavery in Egypt. And they wanted that same deliverance. They wanted that saving work of God to be done among them. They wanted freedom from Babylon. They wanted freedom from Rome. They wanted most especially, though, to be like us, freed from the consequence of sin and death. And that people loved by God, is why Hosanna is still our cry today, and it is why it is still part of the church's liturgy and has been sung by the people of God at this point for millennia, for thousands of years, not just on Palm Sunday. And on that day, nearly 2,000 years ago now, when the fullness of time had finally come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. He did, not account, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. On the very first of what we call Palm Sundays, God did something about it. He came in order to stand shoulder to shoulder with us in our humanity and in his humility, in order to lift from us the crushing burden of sin and death. The Palm Sunday crowds call out, Hosanna, save us now. And that's exactly what God has done. He has sent his son to the cross to be the sacrifice for sin, to fix 
what was broken by our sin in becoming sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. This week, we mark how God answers our hosannas that his people, us included, have been crying out for centuries, for millennia. We mark how he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He breathes his last in order that he would breathe into us the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. But I would be remiss if I didn't point out to you the placement of the hosannas that we always sing in the liturgy. We sing, as I said, our hosannas every time we gather in the divine service. When we cry out for God in the same way that the scriptures have taught the people of God to do for millennia, God comes and he answers our prayers too. So what is God doing when we call out our hosannas? He's sending us his son, not on a donkey this time, but under the bread and wine of the Holy Communion. People loved by God, we cry out, Hosanna, save us, and he does it. He gives us his body and blood to forgive us our sin, but also to strengthen and keep us in both body and soul to life everlasting. Jesus instituted this meal for the special comfort of those who know their sin and who see the evil in the world and see what the, what the devil is up to around them. And in response to your hosannas, he does something about it. What is God doing? Well, he's already done it. It is finished. For the salvation of the world is accomplished on Good Friday at the cross. But it's delivered to you here. When you cry out for God to save you, Hosanna you, he comes now in bread and wine to give you the salvation, the life of the world, and to fix what our sin is broken. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.